The last three Mishnahs of this parak continue with this long list of enactments and decrees. We play Tikkun Oilam in order to fix a particularly large issue and concern. And the Mishnah tells us that although Mid Oiraisa a Chiresh, somebody who is deaf and dumb, he can't hear or speak, which means that he hasn't really got any way of communicating with other people in a regular, normal manner. And with the Raisa, his actions don't really have any halakhic significance. And for example, he wouldn't be able to buy and sell things. In order to transfer ownership of an item, one needs to perform an action, like drawing it towards him, lifting it up. But if he does that, he has not got a sufficient level of understanding in order for that to be valid mid However, the mission tells us that Chirish Romes, a deaf and dumb person, can hint. For example, by nodding his head or by using his hands to signal and express that he wants the transfer of ownership to take place. If we see that's what he's trying to say, so even though that's what he did and he didn't do the regular act which is necessary to transfer the ownership, that is enough and the transfer of ownership would be valid, since this is clear what he wants over here. Even though a regular person would not be able to do this, but for a Kheresh it would be valid. And as well as that, for Nirmaz, he can be hinted towards. If somebody else makes signals towards him and you can see that he is agreeing, then that would also be enough. When Messiah says, Kofi's Nikpots, it's even enough that he mouth with his mouth what he wants, even if he's not doing any action, or if somebody does that towards him and we can see that he is agreeing, even though here there's even less of an action of it going on, as long as we see his agreement, that would be valid, and all of this is regarding the metaltalin movable items. However, when it comes to property which is attached to the ground, or the land itself, for example, then the nodding or the hinting of a cheyosh would not be valid, even on a midrabana level, that requires a real act of transfer of ownership. Continues the Mishnah, young children, around the ages of 7, 8, 9, mikhon mekach, that which they buy is considered to be valid, the sale is valid, mimkar and mimkar, that which they sell is considered to be a real sale, b'metaltalin, again, only when it comes to movable items, and even though with Arisa, their actions don't have a lack of significance, if there is nobody else looking after them, for example, they're orphans, and nobody has been appointed yet to look after their property, so they need to do it themselves. So in order that they'll manage to do that, their actions need to have halachic significance. So they are bonus said in such a situation, they can buy and sell. Now regarding all of these situations where Mid Arisa, the the transfer of ownership, for example, doesn't work, when Jabonon it does, how can Rabbonon go against the Arisa? According to the Torah, it belongs to somebody else. How can the Rabbonon say that it belongs to a different person? The answer is through the mechanism of Hefka based in Hefka. The, the based in the Rabbonon, they have the power to make anybody's property ownerless. And by extension, they can say that if something is Midaraisa supposed to belong to, let's say, Ruvain, they can use Hefka based in Hefka to take that out of the possession of Ruvain. And Shimon can acquire it, or they can place it into the possession of Shimon. Mishnah Ches, the following list of things, Om Ve'elu Dvarim Omru, these are the things which the Chachamim said in Eidachishalayim, because of the ways of peace, meaning in order to maintain the peace and good relationship between different people. Number one, Koyin Koyin Yishayin, a Koyin would read from the Torah first, the first Aliyah, when reading from the Torah, for example, on a Shabbos, the first one needs to be given to a Koyin, the Achav Levi, 
after him, the second Aliyah needs to be given to a lady, the Achor Yisrael, and only then to a, the, the third Aliyah is given to a regular Yisrael. Now, even though, according to the strict letter of the law, if you have, let's say, a Yisrael who is a much bigger Talmud Chochom than the Koyein, so then he would take precedence over the Koyein, and he would get the first Aliyah according to the strict letter of the law. However, in order to avoid arguments saying that somebody is greater than somebody else, the Rabbanon said that a Koyein should always be given the first Aliyah, and even if there is somebody who is greater than him who is Yisrael, the Koyein should be the one who receives the Aliyah in order to have it fixed, and not based on who is greater than who. So the mission of Nidahi Shalom because of the ways of peace in order to maintain the good relationships between people and to avoid arguments. Now the second thing in this Mishnah regards a Ruvichat Seiris. If there is a courtyard into which multiple houses open up into that courtyard, and the owners of all of the houses shares, share the courtyard, the halacha is that it's forbidden to carry in that courtyard, or from each house into the courtyard on Shabbos, since multiple different people have ownership of that courtyard. So it's not like a perfect private domain. So it's forbidden to carry there on Shabbos unless they make an Eruvichatzeres with all of the people who share, who have a share in that courtyard. How does Eruvichatzeres work? The idea is to, in order to reach a situation where we can view it as if all of the courtyard is designated for, in the, in, for one ownership. Not that it's split between many people, but it's designated for one of the houses. And the way this is done is that each person, each household, needs to give some food, a meal, let's say bread, and place it in a particular house. And then we view it almost as if each of them live in that house. And if that is done, then it will be permitted to carry in that courtyard and from the houses into the courtyard on Shabbos. Now, the person in whose house it is done, all of the bread is placed in that house, that person would certainly not need to bake bread and a meal and join with the Eruchatzeris. The whole point of the Eruchatzeris is to make it as if everybody else is living there in his house. But he's already living there. So the person who lives there would gain in that he wouldn't need to provide a meal for the Eruve Chatseris. And because of that, the Mishnah says, Yoshon, they would make an Eruve Chatseris in the old house. Meaning, if every week they would always put the bread in the same house, so the person living in there would gain, they can't change and start saying, oh, we should put it in a different house so that you're not the one gaining every week. And then each week they would start an argument as to whose house it will be put in. So the Mishnah says, no, if there is a fixed custom already, it is better that we go with that and we fix it that each week it should be done like that to avoid an argument each week as to where it should be placed, the area of Chatseris. Because of the ways of peace to maintain the good relationship between the people. Number three, the pit which is nearest to a stream of water and we're talking about a stream of water which went past many fields and the owners of the fields would use the water coming in from that stream they would direct part of that water into their fields in order to water their fields now if there were many people using the stream of water the water could dry up and end up being finished and used up by a certain number of the fields so who has priority over who the mission says quite simply the pit which is nearest to the root of the stream of water Miss Malirisha and they can fill up the water first they can direct the water towards their fields and they take precedence because of the ways of peace meaning if we fix the law like that then that is the law and people won't start complaining 
because the pit which is nearest there, they have the most right to that water. Number four, Matsuda's Chayva Ufus Dogim, traps which contain and have caught a wild animal or a bird or fish. If somebody finds an animal captured in this trap, so the person who set the trap there has not yet acquired and taken ownership of that animal. His trap managed to catch it, but that's not a way of acquiring something. So technically, according to the strict letter of the law, if somebody else finds that animal now in the trap, he could take it for himself. But the Mishnah says that that would definitely lead to arguments, and Rabbonon said that it's considered to be stealing if somebody else were to take it, because of Dachishalaim to maintain the peace and good relationships between people. Rabbi Yaisi says, Gosel Gomor is considered to be real theft. It's not just that the Rabbonon said it's forbidden for somebody else to take it, the Rabbonon said that it's considered to be that the person who set the trap has already acquired it, and it's considered to be his totally, Mijabonon. And via Hefke's Nefke, it really does become his. Therefore, this would be total regular theft. A similar example, Matthias Cheir shows of a cotton, that which a deaf and dumb person or a fool or a child finds, although with a right so they can't acquire something, yes, permission from Gozel, prohibition for somebody else to take it does exist, that would be considered to be stealing, because of ways of peace, however, says Gozel Gomor, it is considered to be real stealing, because according to Biyasi, the Rabbon actually said that it's considered to be the Cheyishes, or the fools, or the young childs. The actual ownership has changed to be his. When he finds it, it's considered to be his. And a similar example, Oni Manakiv Brishazayis, a poor person who is cutting olives from the top of an olive tree, and olives fall down to the bottom, and a pile of olives lie there at the bottom of the tree. And he hasn't necessarily lifted up all of the olives. Some of them he just cut and they fell down by themselves. Mashtacht of Gozel, that which is underneath him at the bottom of the tree, if somebody else were to take it, it's considered to be like stealing. because of And once again, Mubiyase says Gozel Gomer, it's considered to be total stealing because Mijabonon, they did actually transfer the ownership to the poor person and it's viewed as already belonging to him fully. Alright, and a last example of Goyim. One shouldn't protest and stop poor non-Jews from taking Baleket These are the various tithes, various parts of one's produce which one leaves in the fields for poor people. Leket refers to the stalks which he drops. Shikha refers to the bundles which he forgets in the field. Peah is the corner of the field which he needs to leave for the poor people to take. And if non-Jewish people who are poor come and take these things, even though according to the strict letter of the law they have no rights to this, one would not be able to stop them doing so in the because we don't want to lead to a situation where the non-Jews have hatred towards us, and the relationship with the non-Jews should also be maintained on a peaceful level. Mishnah tells this. Mishnah brings a few more examples of Dachi Shalaim. And the halacha is that once every seven years there is a Shmita year. And at a particular point during that year, and the exact time is different for each produce, but there is a time during the year of Shmita where it becomes forbidden to keep any of the Shmita produce in his house. That's in the time of the Biur. Beer is when one needs to get rid of the Shmita produce from his house. And the Mishnah tells us that a woman is permitted to lend her friend who is suspected and not trusted regarding keeping the laws of Shmita. 
So she knows that her friend is not particular about these laws. Nevertheless, even after the time of the beer has arrived, one is allowed to lend her nafa, a sieve, which is used for flour, or chavara, this is another type of sieve, used for grains, chayim, a millstone for grinding, sanor, and an oven. Even though the likelihood is that she'll use it for food, all of these things, and the food could be shmita produce, in which case you would be allowing her to do this avira of creating food, processing food which is already forbidden to have. Since there's a possibility that she'll use the oven and the sieves for something else, for example, she might just use the sieve as a container. She might use the oven to dry things out. And if one is able to lend it to her, it is forbidden for her to sieve food or grind food together with her and help her with that, since then you would literally be assisting an Avera. Ish's chover, the wife of a chover, a chover refers to somebody who is particular with the laws of tithes and the laws of Tumah and Tara, and his wife would also be considered trustworthy. She may lend the wife of an Amaretz. Now, Amaretz is the opposite of a chover. It's somebody who is suspected regarding tithes and tumah. One may lend her nofal chavara, the different types of sieve. Even though there's a possibility that you are assisting in an avera of processing produce which isn't tithed. And according to Sam, the issue over here is tumah. And that's why the mission doesn't mention an oven, for example. An oven, one is not able to purify if it becomes Tomei, unless he actually breaks the oven. So an oven will be forbidden to lend to the other woman, because she'll make it Tomei, and they won't be able to purify it. However, the sieve, even if they make it Tomei, they'll be able to purify it again, and therefore she would be able to lend it to her friend. That's one way of learning, but another way of learning is that we are talking about the concern of tithes, and the mission just talks about two examples, but the same would apply to an oven or to a millstone as well. She can select the food out, meaning process the food, or grind the food, or sieve the food together with her. Regarding tithes, even Amihaoretz, most Amihaoretz would actually tithe. It's just they weren't trusted regarding this because there were certain Amihaoretz who wouldn't tithe. But since the majority would, so when one is able to process this food together with her, and she can rely on the fact that this woman will tithe the produce. However, says Mishnah, but as soon as they have placed water on the dough, once it has become wet, it is now able to become Tomei. And if the dough becomes Tomei, it's forbidden to allow the dough to become Tomei at this stage, because one needs to separate Chala, a part of the dough which is given to a Koyen, and if the Chala is Tomei, then the Koyen can't eat it, and it would need to be burnt, so it's forbidden to allow the dough to become Tomei. However, the wife of Amor Oretz is not trusted at all regarding Tumah. She's considered to be Tomei. So now, Lotika Imar, the wife of the Chover, cannot touch the dough together with her and can't continue doing those stages of the dough, like kneading the dough. Because it's forbidden to encourage somebody who's violating an Avera. In this case, making the dough Tomei before separating the Chala. And in fact, in all of these cases, the fact that you're even able to lend her these utensils, is they only permitted it because of Darchisholim, but in general you should need to be concerned that you are considered to be encouraging and helping out in the performance of an Avera. Alright, on a similar note, 
it is permitted to encourage non-Jews who are working their fields during the Shemitah year, it's permitted to encourage them in their work, because there's absolutely no prohibition on a non-Jew to work their field during the Shemitah year. The fact that it's forbidden for Jews to work the land during Shemitah shouldn't mean anything regarding a non-Jew. It's forbidden to encourage a Jew who is violating the Avera of working the land during Shemitah. And, one can ask of the welfare of a non-Jew, even using the word Shalom, which is really essentially Hashem's name. Well, not necessarily the word Shalom, you could even say Hashem's name. The Mishnah at the end of Masech's Brachas talks about how people would greet each other using Hashem's real name. That is permitted even when greeting a non-Jew, because of in order to maintain a good relationship between people. So we now reach the end of the list of examples of which is really a small part of the long list of pretty much two full prokem discussing various decrees we now go back to the discussion of the Masechta which is Gitin and that which we were discussing until now before we went sidetracked for two prokem and that is the messenger delivering a get from the husband to the wife and we've already seen that there are really two different types of messengers and now we'll discuss more details about this when it comes to delivering a get one is known as a shliach hilocha Eshliach refers to a messenger to deliver the get, such that it will only, the divorce will only take place when the get reaches the wife. And the second type of messenger is a shliach Kabbalah, and that is a messenger appointed by the wife to actually receive the get such that the divorce will take place even when the messenger receives it, even before the wife actually gets it. Says Mishnah Ho'imer, one who says to a particular person, his kabul gets a ishti, receive this get for my wife, meaning he wants the divorce to take place as soon as the messenger receives it. But we've already seen at the end of the first parak that he's not able to do that. Since it's considered to be a disadvantage to be divorced, one cannot divorce the woman without giving a get to her unless she agrees or she appoints the other messenger. But you can't appoint a messenger to receive the get and for the divorce to take place already then. Alright? Or if you say, you tell the messenger to deliver the get to my wife. If the husband wanted to retract before his wife has actually received the get, then he is able to do so. Because the divorce has not yet taken place. A woman who says, she tells somebody, receive my get for me. Meaning, she wants the divorce to take place as soon as her messenger receives the get. She's appointing a shliach lekabola. And the husband gives the get to this messenger. In Ratzalachzer, if he wanted to retract from the divorce before the get reaches his wife herself, lekabola, he's not able to retract since the divorce has already taken place as soon as this messenger received it. Lefichach, therefore, the only way that the husband can cause the divorce to not yet take place is if the husband said to this messenger, I do not want you to receive the get and for the divorce to take place as soon as you receive it. Rather, go and deliver this and give it to her and the divorce should take place only when it reaches her. Is he able to do that? Says the Mishnah, yes. In If he wanted to retract from the divorce before it actually reaches his wife herself, he is able to. Because the divorce indeed has not yet taken place. Because it's true that she, she appointed this messenger to receive the get. But that's, we still require the husband to give it for the sake of divorce. If the husband only wants the divorce to take place when it will reach his wife, then he's not divorcing her until then. So the divorce would not be valid until it actually reaches her herself. 
And the Mishnah adds on at the end, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says, Even a woman who says to the messenger, Take my get for me, this word toil also implies that she wants the messenger to be a shliach le kabola, to receive the get, such that the divorce will take place immediately when he receives it. And as such, in Ratzalach, if the husband wanted to retract from the divorce, once this messenger has received it, and before the wife has received it, he's not able to retract since the divorce has already taken place.